0: Log talk radio welcome to the keys of the kingdom with brother gregory of his holy church now can you hear me is everybody out there hearing me I have the chat room open if anybody wants to get into the chat room so for some reason or other they go back to an old setting at the studio and I don't know how to stop them from doing it but I had checked it just before we went on air and somehow or other they changed it back again so everybody should be I'm going to double check that Yeah, yeah it says I see it hearing my voice. Okay, I should be back again. I'm not gonna check it again, because they might <laughs> take me off. Do you hear me now? In the chat room. Let's see if I get a response. son said he can't hear you at all. Yeah. Okay, now he can, okay. Somehow or other, they're changing that mic back. So if uh, I'll keep the chat room open, if for some reason those monitoring from the chat room, uh, the voice goes out, you let me know. Uh, Okay, we got double witness, two witnesses. That's what we need. (laughs) They can hear me. Somehow or other, the station is changing that back, and I have no idea why they're doing it. But I see more callers coming in. Uh, and just remind people that they, they log in and suddenly they're not hearing me, log into the chat room and tell me. Uh, because I can't see them change the mic. I don't see any way of knowing whether they change the mic. Okay, I just saw somebody log out again. I hope everybody is getting me. I'll give, uh, when I see these numbers coming in and out. So this is is all a learning experience, but uh, the call-in number is 319-527-6208. 319-527-6208. If you want to ask a question, you have to press one, and I should see your hand raise up. Why somebody's clicking in and out, it may be because their own phone reception where they're at, but, uh, uh, but I just got verification that we are being heard. On the computer and on the phone. So we have people monitoring that. But there is no. And the thing. It appears that if I check. What phone. Microphone they're using. At the station. If I check it. It switches it for some reason. I have no idea why that is. Doesn't make any sense. But anyway. So we're on. But uh, don't give up. You can log in 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 several different ways. I'll look. We got a, a six zero nine seven in, in the chat room. And we got a in in the phone queue, and we got six nine two five in the phone queue. And uh, nobody has their hand raised, but we've had as many as five in there, and they blink out. And I'm I'm hoping they're not. I hoping they're all hearing something. So anyway, we got another guy. Uh, I really. Uh, eventually, if somebody knows who uh, the uh, good at math, con at math is, I'd love to know who that guy. Is. <laughs> Do I know that person? Is he good? Let's see. Oh, and Ella's in in the chat room. Uh, okay, so yeah, okay. Sarah is one of those numbers. She's in the chat room too okay so that that's helping me figure out who these people are so but uh uh, we'd like to fill up that whole board so that we have like fifty people. They don't all have to be in the chat room, but uh I know there's a lot of people that just listen directly online, and uh our numbers are going up If you log in to the show online, there should be a follow button there somewhere, so uh again. You know, hit that follow because the more followers we get, the more blog talk will push our uh, our show so that we'll go out to more and more people. You know, that's how you go viral is that more and more people say they're following and they say, oh, well, this this outfit is trending and so we will promote them. I mean, I could send them money and they could promote us. But I think the grassroots movement of His Holy Church should be, now we got another number that came in, 2111. I hope you're hearing us. If you're not hearing us, then I'm not talking to you. <laughs> but I saw a number of numbers coming in. I think that 2111 has been there before, but you can log into the chat room and let us know if you're hearing loud and clear because we were having trouble. station was shifting our mic around and we, our voices weren't going out. So anyway, I'll cut all this out of the final show that we released to everybody. But part of doing these shows is to get educated how these different systems work. We we had to log into a completely different system to do the show with Ed Slover, and uh, fortunately, my grandson came over minutes before the show went on. Uh, he figured it all out. He got it logged in on his computer uh, on his phone. And then he got me logged in. And then when I then in, we were able to uh, video the entire show, even the confer- uh, conversation before. It. Uh, we won't release it until he releases the show. That's just out of courtesy, but he will release the show and we'll release it out through the network. So if you're not a member of the network, you want to be on the network because that's the only way you'll see it. Uh, we will not release it through Keys of the Kingdom podcast because it Ed Slover's podcast And that wouldn't be fair to him And we want to be fair to everybody involved So uh, Okay well I'm seeing extra messages Coming (laughs) Okay So anyway So uh, we've got at least Three callers in there but nobody's got their hand Raised and so we'll just get Right into Matthew and if you have a question, you want to do it in the chat room, go in the chat room, start with Gregory uh when you start your question, and then I will I will see that because I'm not going to be reading all these texts that are going on there. Uh and if you want to ask it on the air, then just press one. So anyway, we're talking about Matthew twelve. And Matthew twelve is uh I've I've got it open, but I was actually editing it this afternoon already. And I will probably edit it a dozen times more before uh, we're done uh, because there's always more nuance and more things that are connecting. I went back and I edited uh, Matthew 10 today. Uh, I put in more links. I put in definitions of words that were in Matthew 10. And of course, those words come from other words. And so therefore, that meant I put in I put in several other uh, definitions that you can link to because, you know, I don't want you to believe me. I don't even want you to believe all the data that we give you, all the information, all the definitions we give you. We give you common definitions that are in uh, biblical concordances so that we're not making things up. Now, I don't believe that all those concordances are as accurate as they should be. Uh like Young's Analytical uh, Concordance, or even Strong's. Uh, the guys who put those together at the time, before they died, they thought, well, I probably should have changed this, and I probably because more information was constantly being found out about how some of these words are being used at that particular time. Shifting the definition of these words can shift your ideology. But, of course, Christianity isn't an ideology. Christianity is about following the Holy Spirit. It's when we start following the ideologies, the, the, the catechisms. Now, I'm not saying catechisms are bad. I'm not saying the tree of knowledge is bad. That's one of the things that came out in the podcast. I had to remind them, I said, look, the, the tree of knowledge is not a bad thing. God gave us the tree of knowledge. It, it can become a bad thing if we use it as a source rather than the tree of life, which is representative of the Holy Spirit. The tree of life is should be our source of deciding what is good and evil because you get knowledge. You 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 get, you know, uh ten degrees <laughs> in college. You got all kinds of knowledge they give you you read all these books and you have all the knowledge and say you have a really great mind and you can remember everything, you know, page numbers, all that kind of stuff. That's knowledge. How do you filter through that? Was the author, everything that the author wrote is a hundred percent true? Uh, no, that's never the case. Uh, is that author got a hundred percent of the knowledge? No, that can never be the case. So, it's still knowledge. Somehow or other, you have to go through that knowledge and decipher it. Can you do that with your own mind and your own brain? No, you can't. It's impossible. I don't know anybody that smart. But God is that smart. Holy Spirit will guide you through that. But are you really listening to the Holy Spirit? And, of course, that's... That's really what Matthew's gospel is all about. That's what all the gospels are about. It's trying to lead you back to that Holy Spirit. Because that Holy Spirit is where paradise is. That that can that can bring you personal paradise. In not the shadow of God, but in the light of the Holy Spirit. And so that's where you want to go. So, you know, back there... Uh, Maybe it was in 10. I, I can't even remember what the number was. I can, was going to look quickly, but I'm not finding it. But he was virtually rebuking the uh, uh, different uh, – maybe I'll find it here. I'll pull it up on, because I had uh, – yeah, reproaching. Uh, other words that he used is upbraiding. That was the word. It was upbraiding. Uh, The cities That If If the works that had been done in them uh, Were done in Sodom Sodom would still be a thriving city Because they would have believed But You know Jesus didn't pick the Israelites Because They were so wonderful (laughs) He, He He picked them because They were hard cases They They were they were going to give him more grief than almost anybody else it wasn't because they were so receptive to it there were people in the israelites who were receptive but a lot of them were uh very obstinate very uh hard cases for accepting the true message of moses the true message of the prophets the true message of jesus christ and one of the problems, and I, I've talked about that a little bit, uh, is they were respecters of persons. They were putting people up on pedestals. And then they not only put people up on pedestals, there would be people in their group that want to tear down the people that were put up on the pedestal. Because they actually want to be put up on the pedestal. You know, that that's – and then they divide the people. But, of course, you know, Moses had to deal with that and – you know, he had to stomp his foot, and uh, the ground opened up <laughs> and swallowed him. Uh, so you, you don't want to be challenging the true prophets of God, but you can challenge me anytime you want, and that's why we give you the number <laughs> so that you can call in and challenge us. So anyway, uh, uh, going in back into this Matthew this and this idea of reproaching these cities, and me reproaching all these different religions out there and their ideologies and and the symbols of their religion is because we're not to be worshiping the symbols. We're to be worshiping God, not the symbols of his teachings and, you know, like the altars and, and all these different things that if we hold them up as that is what is sacred, then we fall short of holding up the true God and the Holy Spirit, which is what is truly sacred, because no man is sacred, no no object for certain is sacred. Now I say that on one level, but the word sacred has something. There's actually several words that are translated sacred, but uh, something that is sacred is something that has been committed. To the service of God It Now it belonged to us Because God gave us stuff We produced it, we created it With our sweat and our blood Which God gave us also So it, we have a property right in that thing But to consecrate something To make it sacred Is to take that thing Which God has given us Or, or we created out of that power And energy and choice That God has given us And we dedicate it back To the service of God Uh, hopefully in the practice of pure religion. But, of course, the gods of the world want you to dedicate it to them. They want you to give it to them. And they want you to actually give them the power to take it away from you where they now have the right to choose to take it away from you, to exercise authority and take away from you what you produced. And one of the ways they get the power to do that as they said that if you give us the power to take away from you, we will also take away from others to give to you. Of course, you know it's kind of like those commercials if you watch TV. And I've seen some of these commercials. I, I've just I'm just flabbergasted because I didn't hadn't seen all those commercials before, but now I see them and I and they say we have this medication that will get rid of your psoriasis or or whatever it is that you're having trouble with or you know some sort of discomfort thing that makes you look bad and you can't wear your swimsuit because you know you got these skin problems and uh you can take this medicine and it might cure it a little bit it might clear it up a little bit but it might make you go blind it might uh you might get tuberculosis you you might get headaches you you might get tumors you you might become susceptible to inflammation you you, you might die but you can wear your bathing suit. <laughs> you know, and, you know, I hear all the warnings and I'm thinking like, I don't want to <laughs> take uh, uh, that. But that's kind of what they do with all, all these ideologies and stuff like that and, and these these systems of social welfare. And, of course, right away in Samuel 8, you know, God When they asked for somebody who could exercise authority, a king who could exercise authority and and fix things for them so that they didn't have to do it themselves, Uh, God said, oh, give it to them. Now, they've already turned their back on me. They haven't turned their back on you, Samuel, but they've already turned their back on me. Give it to them. Because guess what? But but before you give it to them, tell them what kind of government they're going to get. They're going to get a government that takes and takes and takes and takes and takes and takes and takes. I don't know if I got them all in. There's quite a few takes there. They're going to make your children run before their chariots and all this stuff. And you're going to cry out eventually because of all the taking from your government. And God's not going to hear you. So if you're in a government, wherever you are, if you're in Australia, I don't see any Australian numbers showing up, but there could be people listening, and I know there will be people in Australia that listen to the show, and other countries. Uh, I, I have somebody over in England today, and uh, so th- they they can hear all these shows, and so if they're in a government that takes and takes and takes, you know, like Canada or China or Australia. Or and and they just keep doing that. You probably did what Samuel warned you not to do. <laughs> so so how do you get back? How, how how do you return to that state of freedom? Well, that's what the gospel is really all about. But a lot of people aren't teaching you that, and so that's what we're showing you. So. When I go to Matthew 12, now I i went and saved what changes I was making, and I'll make more changes. We'll just start off reading it right away because we've already spent uh, almost a half hour getting our right mics on. And I'll go back and check if we start having any trouble. But verse 1, at that time, Jesus went on the Sabbath day through the corn. It wasn't real corn. It was grain of some sort they didn't have corn over there yet and his disciples were a hunger and began to pluck the ears of the corn and to eat it there's it probably shocks of barley uh, I would suspect it would be barley based on the time of year this probably was taking place and the crops that they had but it could have been other grains but it wasn't actually corn on the cob But uh, so it wasn't ears of corn but that's the way they translated it but that's okay, that's not significant it was grain and he was picking it off and you take those those little grain heads and you shake them in your hands and you blow the chaff out of your hands and you can throw the grain in your mouth and just chew it and that's actually one of the best ways to eat grain if you're going to eat grain Uh, and the Roman centurion is just a little anecdote there they when they were marching, they would carry a little leather pouch of such grain in a pouch, and that was their ration. That was their K rations. It was actually grain. And, you know, they knew how to take it and chew it up and eat it. And make kind of a gum in there and eventually they'd swallow that too. But that's how they get their protein. Then you get more of the enzymes. They could also take it and put it in a little water and sprout it. And they'll get more vitamins that way. But once it's sprouted, that they, they can uh, there's a- active vitamins and things that will help you digest it. Less of the uh, the toxins that are in the grain to protect the grain originally, because they sprouted it. And so sometimes that when they would put it in their mouth, they wouldn't even start chewing it until they'd worked it in their mouth for a while. And so anyway, these are. Just anecdotes, but Christ was doing this on the Sabbath. He was going through this grain field, and that's work according to the Pharisees. So it says in verse two. But when the Pharisees when the Pharisees saw it, what he was doing, they said unto him, Behold, thy disciples do that which is not lawful to do upon the Sabbath day. And verse three. But he said unto them. Have you not read that David did when he was hungered and they that were with him? How he entered into the house of God and did the eat of the showbread, which was not lawful for him to eat, neither for them which were with him, but only for the priests. But David did it. Well, David was the king. Because a strange thing was taking place when they picked a king. Uh, and we'll, I'll give you just one reference because we don't want to get too far off the track, but this is part of the track. There were, before there were kings, there were one person that could fire the porters of the temple. The porters of the temple were the gatekeepers of the temple. The, the funds that came up to the temple Through the congregations of tens, hundreds, and thousands. each wasn't all going up, but a a little portion from every congregation would go up to their minister. And he would get that uh, and take a portion of that and give it to his minister. And all the other ministers that that minister ministered to would send a little portion up to that same minister. And then he would do the same to his minister. Because it was a network. This is the way they organized. The whole nation was organized in that fashion. Well, eventually, these funds are coming all the way up to the temple. In order to enter into the temple, it's this small portion of everything that was gathered. But it's a pretty large portion because it's coming from so many different directions. And it would come into the temple itself. And the people that it passed through the hands of... To enter into the temple were called the porters of the temple, the gatekeepers. They were the last ones to receive these donations coming up through this whole network, an entire nation coming up. And it would be an exorbitant amount by the time it got there. It wasn't the vast majority of the funds that were used in the practice of pure religion, but it was a sizable portion. It would come up there. And then the high priest wherever he was at that particular time. And it might rotate amongst the top 11, uh, you know, priests of the nation, because you had these 12 tribes or at least 10 tribes, depending on how you count it. I mean, there were 12 tribes to begin with, but then the Levites were this whole part of this whole network. But then there were two portions given to this tribe of Benjamin, you know, under Joseph and, uh, So, that made 12 tribes again. So, anyway, that's all coming up into the temple, and it's passing through the hands of the gatekeepers, and it's falling under the control of the priests at the temple. And But it comes through those gatekeepers. Well, before they had any kings, if a gatekeeper was found to be corrupt, he could be rebuked, you know, with that same word that I just mentioned. In the Greek, it's uh, oniad. Dizo, he can be reproached he, he can be upbraided because he's not handling those funds right he can actually be discharged and then the ministers that had picked him will have to pick another one because when he's discharged everything that comes through him is not re- going to be received by the the priests in the temple So he's literally fired. They can pick somebody else. But this is this two witnesses. You know, I mentioned that at the beginning of the program. I don't know if I'll leave that in the recording. But everything has to be established by two witnesses. Well, the one witness is the guy who picked him, which is actually ten guys picked him. And the other witness is the priest who accepted their choice they They looked out amongst themselves, they found a man they trust and they put him over this job and now he applies to be that ordained minister ordained by God, but the priest above him can say, "I don't want to have anything to do with you. I will not accept your gifts, even though it's representing maybe thousands of people by the time you get up to the temple he's going he's going reject you i won't I won't touch." A single denarii of your gifts, a single lamb that you bring to the temple, because I believe you corrupt. Now, before he gets to that point, he could just say, you know, you're doing this, and you really shouldn't do that, and give him an opportunity to repent and do, do something different, have that conversation and discussion. He could bring it before the Sanhedrin and say, you know, he's doing this. I don't really think he should do that, and get their input, too, and. All this, but eventually he may come to the conclusion: I cannot accept what you're doing. I think you're pilfering. I think you're abusing your position as a porter of the temple, as a gatekeeper of the temple. And I have to denounce my recognition of you. And the way I do that is, I'm not going to accept any more from you. Now this puts the burden on everybody down below to straighten this out. This is why they went to have a king. It's because there were certain priests who were taking bribes. Go back to Samuel 8. There were priests that were taking bribes. And they were letting people stand in the gap of the porters and not firing them, not challenging them, not rebuking them, not reproaching them. And so they said, well, let's get a king. And a king will take on that responsibility, at least part of that. They also wanted a king to be there. The commander-in-chief of their military because there were these other problems going on but the king was going to have both of those positions and at the time of David and the time of Samuel there were two people now who could fire the porters of the temple the high priest and and the king David could fire the porters of the temple And then the people would have to pick new guys. He he couldn't just arbitrarily put new guys in position. Uh, He could accept who the people pick. You know, it's kind of like an electoral college kind of thing. I mean, we still see remnants of that in the United States government. You know, somebody picks – somebody who's going to be on, uh, you know, the Supreme Court or in some office, uh, you know, cabinet office member or whatever – And they they pick them. They have to appear before either the Senate committee or Congress or maybe in some cases both and be approved. And they may approve them. They may not approve them. If they don't approve them, they got to pick somebody else. So that concept is still around. But, of course, I'm not saying by any shadow uh, of definitions that the kingdoms of the world operate like the kingdom of God. But they got this idea from somebody else. And it actually goes even far back if we look at the the real institution of God, which is the family we talked about in the morning program. Prodigal son wanted to do something that the father did not approve of. Father gave him his inheritance and said, well, you go do what you want. You know, this this is all I'm going to give you, but you take it and you go make your own way in the world. But he went off and he made real bad choices. And he stayed way out in the world, making bad choices until he ended up eating uh, the cobs of the, you know, the chaff of the wheat, because it wasn't corn again, uh, in the story, because they didn't have corn over there. (laughs) But he he began to uh, even eat that. It started tasting good to him (laughs) as he wallowed with the pigs and fed the pigs of the guys that he became a servant of. And finally he decided, I'm going back to dad. He repented. he went back to dad to be. Now, if you listen to the whole story, I didn't mention that this morning. uh, Or whenever I talked about it last, it might have been on uh, Silver's podcast. But he went back to be a servant in his father's house. He didn't go back to get his inheritance. He already squandered his inheritance. He had no right to come back to his father's house. He he'd taken his right And wasted it But he came back to be a servant In his father's house His father runs out to meet him And welcomes him with open arms Because he's this sheep That is returning to his father's house and, and, and he's willing to share With him again And the other brother began to You know be jealous of this And of course there's several parables Where we talk about people You know the laborers who labored in the field for all day long in the hot part of the day. And these other guys come along at the last minute and you you give them the same reward that we, we give us. Now, well, I haven't taken away from your reward. I'm giving you what I promised you. But I can choose to give to anybody else who comes along wherever I choose to give them. You don't have power over that choice. But anyway, back to this idea of the king firing the porters of the temple. And the high priest firing the porters of the temple, and of course, when you get into the, we get into the story of firing the money changers. The money changers were the porters of the temple. They were receiving the donation. We go into this in pretty good detail. I could go into it in a lot more detail, you know, like Covenants of the Gods. When I wrote that, it was it was. There was at one point where I know that there was over 400 pages. I think when I finally had all my notes together, I could see that it would be a 700-page book. (laughs) I didn't want to mail out a 700-page book. And so I reduced it down to 144 pages. I did that with all the books because it's too much. Uh, I have the information to fill in all those gaps, and there's lots of gaps in there. But there's enough stepping stones to get you across the creek. If you you want to go across the creek. And the Holy Spirit will help you make some of those leaps. But the homework is done. You just have to see it. So these guys are coming up to Jesus and saying, well, you're picking corn on, you know, picking grain on the Sabbath. That's not lawful. And he says, well, wait a minute. He says, when David came in and ate the showbread, That is only for the priests. Was that lawful? And he says, or have ye not read in the law how the Sabbath days, the priests in the temple profane the Sabbath and are blameless? Because why? Because the priests are working on the Sabbath. You know, the people that says, well, do you take a Sabbath off? And I says, well, I got two shows that amount to three, four, five hours of show. And I have to prep for that and do all this stuff. And it's on the Sabbath. Because it used to be called the Sabbath hour. So, yeah, I'm working on the Sabbath. Uh, so am I violating the Sabbath? For all those people who might bring that up from time to time. No. They're blameless. Yeah, because... I'm I'm doing something. Besides, we'll get into the Sabbath too before we're done. Or have you not read the law? How that on the Sabbath day the priests in the temple profane the Sabbath because they work on it, and are blameless. But I say unto you that this place is one greater than the temple. What place? Is he pointing to himself when he says that? We we don't get a narrative on that subject but it's whatever place that Jesus is at is greater than the temple because the temple is supposed to be built out of living stones anyway and it's not just Jesus in that place i probably should give you a little definition of the word place there but uh and i may include that i may include that in the page but uh there's the apostles all there they're doing the same thing He's saying that in this place, with all these men, these living stones, we're, better, we're greater than the temple. Because that's what the temple was supposed to be made out of to begin with. Which is an important thing to everybody to remember. If they have the, the crazy delusion that they have to build the temple over there in Israel and create some sort of daily sacrifice and kill red heifers, uh, That uh, that is that's just false. That's not what the text says, and we have enough articles to explain that. But people have to have the eyes to see it and the ears to hear it. But if you had known what this meaneth, I will have mercy and not sacrifice. Ye would not have condemned the guiltless. For the Son of Man is Lord even of the Sabbath day. Now, going back to what I was saying to you about the priest could fire. The high priest could fire the porters of the temple and the king could now, once they had a king, could now fire the porters of the temple because the king was now had received power from the people by way of the priest. And the people were all for it. Give us the king anyway. But now Jesus was priest and king. We've already explained that numerous times. And so if you if you have any doubts, go back and listen to the earlier recordings. But Jesus was clearly priest and king. So Hague was blameless on the Sabbath. And of course these are his disciples, his student priests. They were blameless on the on the Sabbath. And this is what he's explaining. I don't know if they got it or not, but if they if you knew all the law and all the interaction of the system that they were dealing with at that it would be absolutely clear that Jesus is telling them in fairly uncertain terms that he is priest and king because he just equated himself with David and he equated himself with the priest and he actually even equated himself with the temple that he is the temple <laughs> and that his heart is the veil that is between you and and the sacred place of the temple because Jesus is always taking people out Of the idolatry of those who worship the symbols, but not the God that the symbols represent. Because they've unmoored the symbols from their meaning and just put the symbols up there. And like I said this morning, leaven is a good example of that. The leaven of the Pharisees. The leaven, that's a symbol, that's a metaphor for cruelty, exercising authority. And not providing mercy, but sacrifice. I mean, FDR got everybody sacrificing. but And he called it mercy when he established legal charity to the social security system. But it wasn't mercy. Because he couldn't give you anything that he didn't take away from somebody else. He took it away because he was part of that government of taking and taking and taking and taking. We didn't have income tax for individual labor before FDR, before 1933, June 5th, 1933. Not an individual's labor. Corporations had to pay income tax. And fiduciaries of corporations. But not individuals. But of course, when they started it, nobody hardly even noticed because you would have to be making, you know, $10,000 to have to owe any income tax whatsoever in 1933 and even 34, 35 you'd have to make $10,000 well at that time you could buy three homes, furnished homes for $10,000 in 1933 even even up into 1945 you could buy a furnished home, Nebraska good neighborhood uh, oak floor Maple cabinets, was it maple floor And oak cabinets, I can't remember <laughs> With dishes in the cupboard Three bedroom Upstairs, downstairs Well built home, solid home For $3,500 $3,500 Well you would have You could buy three of those homes For $10,000 Now Now what does a home in Nebraska cost? 200000 250000 $300,000 in that same neighborhood, you know, well-built, good neighborhood. Well, that would mean you shouldn't have to pay any income tax unless you're making $900,000 a year. But that's not what's happening. (laughs) Because you've been suckered. But what you are now bound in, because your parents have taken benefits and your grandparents have taken benefits, and, and chances are your parents didn't provide all the social welfare for your parents they got it from Social Security and you may not be doing it all for your parents because you've taken the advantage you now owe the tax you took the benefits, you ate the grain of Pharaoh, and now you're back in the bondage of Egypt You you probably got some signatures out there that put you in the system but that system is the unrighteous mammon Because the sacrifices that go into that Are the, are the wages uh, Are producing the wages of unrighteousness Because it's based on Men who exercise authority It's based on force Christ said not to be that way Because why? Because it's covetous If it's covetous, it's not righteous So that's how you got in the system Now, so what do you do? Jesus said, be friends with the unrighteous man. And Moses said, pay your tally of bricks. But you're going to start doing something different. And Christ is going to be explaining that. And Matthew is going to be explaining that. But well, we just covered the Sabbath. Uh, There's several links on that page. If you go to Preparing you, you can find that page. There's several links that will take you to an article on the Sabbath. Sabbath has nothing to do with a day. Except symbolically, it has to do with a day. But it really has to do with a way. The day has to do with a way. And that way is that you work first and then you get the advantage of your work. You don't get the advantage of the work before you've done it. That that and it, it explains that in the Ten Commandments. But people just kind of miss that. He worked God worked six days <laughs> and then he took his day of rest. He took the advantage of the work that he's already done. He didn't take the advantage of the work before he did it. Today, everybody takes the advantage of things that they haven't paid for yet. The Sabbath is about debt. Now, when Jesus was talking about it in the context of the queries that were coming from the Pharisees, he was expressing a different part. He wasn't explaining the Sabbath. He was explaining that he is blameless and all his apostles are blameless for doing this work on the Sabbath because the priests are are blameless for doing work on the Sabbath. So he just told them in a roundabout sort of way, it should be clear enough to them because they know how it works. They, they didn't have any more questions after that. <laughs> that these apostles are going to be the new priests. So this is right in line when he says, that I'm going to take the kingdom away from you guys and appoint it to another. Well, now he just said who he's going to be appointing it to. His disciples, who are going to be the new priests. And it's not going to belong to the the Jews that follow the Pharisees anymore. Because he, the, the Pharisees are sitting in the seat of Moses. But he's going to take them out of the seat of Moses. And he's going to give that seat to his apostles. But now, We'll, we'll go into that in more detail when we get to it. But he's going to take them out with the words of their own mouth. Multiple witnesses with the words of their own mouth. We have no king but Caesar. So when, when they said that, they're out. They're not Israel anymore. They're not even the princes of Judea, the remnant of Israel. The, they're princes of a, of a country they call Judea. But it's not the Judea. It's not the Judea that is the remnant of Israel. They're the other remnant of Caesar. You know, and I'm not picking on the people in Israel. I I want them all to repent too, and I'm sure some of them are already doing that. But the people, when I say Israel, I'm talking about that UN-created uh, nation over there called Israel that it calls itself Israel. And and although they don't all know it, some of them might know it. They're duping a lot of Christians who think they're Christians into thinking that this is a part of biblical prophecy because they're Israel, they're Israelites. They're not doing anything the way that Moses had to do it. They have a heavy progressive income tax. They have a draft, not only the men but of the women. Uh, the, the, they don't have just weights and measures. They haven't had them for a long time. They have a Federal Reserve system. They don't even have clad coin like the United States do. They just have fake money. And, and they're all headed for destruction. I mean, as as that nation, you know, and I don't like to group people into nations. They group themselves there. But I'm sure there are lots of people in Israel that would follow the ways of the kingdom if somebody showed them that way And maybe I hope That God has somebody over there working Explaining the kingdom to them there, There's plenty of guys over there That know Hebrew Then go back and read the Bible They might want to take a look at some of our footnotes on Exodus <laughs> So they get a good picture of it I don't know I'm not judging anybody I'm just repeating what God has told me But that's not Israel And if they rebuild the temple That's not the temple is prophesied to be rebuilt, and if they kill a red heifer, that's not the red heifer that is talked about in the Old Testament. We have an article up on red heifer; you can go look that up. We may put the, I may put that link on on this page so that people can find it when they listen to this audio eventually. But yeah, there's a lot to this, and we'll we'll find out more about this as we go. Verse 9, and when he was departed thence, he went into their synagogues. Now, a synagogue is ten families. I have a link there. You can go read about synagogues. At that particular time, a synagogue was ten families. And those ten families, it was a free assembly. That's the way it was defined originally. Now, some of these synagogues were not free assemblies anymore because of the work of Herod and the Pharisees, even before Jesus was born before John the Baptist was born there was things going on we've explained that in earlier uh, chapters in earlier recordings but they had set up a system of baptism read an article on baptism read an article on Herod and you'll find out what they're doing Herod was sending out people to baptize people into the kingdom of God before Jesus was even born but his kingdom of God had the different means and methods by which to take care of the needy of society they were perverting the meaning of the religion of Moses to be the religion of Caesar and Nimrod they were saying uh, we're going to take care of the needy but we're going to do it through forced offerings but we can't force your offerings because we don't have any authority to do that so you have to volunteer into this system We, we see the Romans doing it the Romans had already set this up under Julius Caesar and they, they were setting it up even before Julius Caesar, but really got a jump start under Julius Caesar and then more so under uh, Augustus Caesar and Tiberius. And that's where we're at now is this is the time of Tiberius. And there was a lot of free bread. Taking care of the people And that free bread was coming from the temples And we explained that and what part of the temples Because it was outside the temple that you would go You wouldn't go into the temple to get your free bread And there were people all over the Roman Empire That were handing out free bread Including Augustus Caesar Handing out uh, at least grain They weren't shipping bread They were shipping grain to Israel And giving it to them for free Gifts from Caesar Where did Caesar get the money to do this? Well, I had to kill a lot of Gauls to get that. <laughs> Maybe that's where it comes from. Boy, he's got a lot of gall. Yeah, no, I don't think so. But it it kind of fits because they killed they killed a million Gauls. Sold them more than a million people into slavery, women and children. Abuse of slavery. Some of that slavery went to North Africa, wherever they could find a slave market that would take these people at the best price. They did it. And with that, they bought free bread for Romans. And they loved to eat that bread. Christ said, no, we're not to eat at that table. That's idolatry. Because they're coveting the value, the advantage of being a Gaul. They're, they're destroying them. No Christian would do that. No real Christian. Now, Christians today do it all the time. They take a bite out of one another all the time. They're always voting for, let's get more benefits here. Let's pay off my student loan here. You know, let's build a bigger school over here. Well, where are we going to get the money? Oh, we'll just take it from our neighbor. We'll put it on the tax rolls. No, that's not Christian. That's Antichrist. And that's going to bring you into the bondage of Egypt because that's a covetous practice. It's going to make you a human race. It's going to curse your children. Of course, we've been doing it for half a century or more. So all the problems that you see today, I just saw somebody send it to me. And I just played it. It was only like five minutes or something. Somebody sent it to me. It was a clip from a show uh, with Joe Rogan talking about something disastrous going to take place in a short period of time. Uh, he's talking about up to 90% of Americans could be dead. Within, uh, it sounded like a couple of weeks. I had to listen again. I just listened to it real quick while I was doing other things. But you know, of course, I'm I'm not saying it's true, but I I can tell you that disastrous things can happen and will happen, and uh, it's just a question of you know what you're you're gonna be a part of, because God. And I talked about it briefly this morning. There is a source of mammon for us. If us is doing what Christ actually said. If we really are prodigal sons coming back to the Father to be servants in the Father's house. And this is going to be important as we go on through uh, uh, Matthew 12. To see what, what it means to come back to be servants in the Father's house because that's what the brethren are the brethren aren't everybody who says Lord Lord the brethren are those who do the will of the Father that's one of the pages I was working on is the page brethren so that people understand that you know those people who are brought into the kingdom because they gave Jesus food when he was hungry and gave him clothes when he was naked and and uh, all these things, uh, and supported uh, Christ's gospel, even though they didn't think of it as Christ's gospel, they're brought into the kingdom. A lot of people interpret that, that if you help anybody who's poor, that you're brought into the kingdom. No, it doesn't say the poor. It says his brethren. And he's already explained that his brethren are those who do the will of the father. And now everybody should have a little bit better idea of what the will of the father is. And when you have that idea of what the will of the father is, you can look out in the world and say, who's doing the will of the father? Because just to give to the poor, Sodom was doing that and weakening the poor. So it's all important that we begin to put this together and see. Now he's going into these synagogues. And many of these synagogues now, they have to pay in a tithe. Uh, And they send out Gabbai and Mokai ministers. They collected different uh, taxes to go out and pace off your grain fields. They know, okay, your grain field is this big. You're liable to have this much grain come from this field because there's this many shocks in every square foot or hectare or whatever. And so we know that you're going to end up with so many bushels or so many, uh, modiuses of wheat. That's the way they measured it then. Uh, a bushel is pretty heavy, uh, but a modius of wheat is only about 30 pounds. And so that was worth, uh, I used to know, it was like a denarii, I think. And, um. It might have been 10 denarii, but I think it was only about a denarii would buy you a bushel of wheat. Now 6 denarii, I think that's what it was. 6 denarii at that time would buy you 30 pounds of wheat. Now, a denarii is about a dime. So that's like 60 cents, less than a buck, to buy 30 pounds of wheat. Now, you go down to your average feed store now and you go try to buy – you can't even – you can buy fifty-pound bags. That's probably the biggest bags. It used to be we had hundred-pound bags, and if you were in Canada, you had 120 pound <laughs> and, uh, a hundred and twenty-pound bags. And a thirty-pound bag, it's going to cost you more than sixty cents. <laughs> I can tell you that. And uh, but it by the time of Diocletian, a modius of wheat could cost you over a hundred thousand dinari, because the dinari wasn't worth. A dime. <laughs> it, it wasn't. It wasn't. Uh, you know, this little uh, fraction of. Uh, you know, a tenth of an ounce of silver. I think a denarii is not really a tenth of an ounce of silver. I've got it written down somewhere, but I'm not going to remember everything. But you get the gist of it. And this inflation came about because they took all the silver out of the dinari. Israel's already done that. The United States has already done that. You, you you bring in a silver dollar and try to buy a grain, they don't want to buy it. They they won't they won't take your silver dollar, even though it's worth more than that bag of grain. They won't take it. They want them notes. They want those credit entries because they they have no idea of what just weights and measures are. And so, when we started this program, the money in your bank was worth so much. By the end of this program, it's going to be worth less. And that's just, I mean, the the notes in your pocket, at the start of this program, they're worth a certain amount. At the end of this program, they're going to be worth less. And that's going to continue. Because you haven't been seeking the kingdom of God and his righteousness. You have no network of people who will produce honest, good, healthy food that you could even go to and purchase food from. And you have no daily ministration to help you when you don't even have anything to give for food and you need help. And you're not gathering together in the tens, hundreds, hundreds and thousands to be that help to save others. So you're in a lot of trouble. You still got some time to repent, but like I said, that clock up there on the wall, it's still ticking. (laughs) So anyway, and he said unto them, what man shall there be among you I don't know did I read 10 yet Let's see Let's go ahead and read it again Just to make sure I got it in here And behold there was a man Which had his hand withered Oh yeah I didn't read it And they asked him saying Is it lawful to heal On the Sabbath day That they might accuse him And he said unto them What man shall there Be among you that shall have one sheep and if it fall into a pit on the Sabbath day, will not lay hold on it and lift it out? How much then is a man better than a sheep? Wherefore, it is lawful to do well on the Sabbath days. So, I mean, he just laid it out there. Now, I've, I've had sheep fall into water. Uh, water wasn't over my head at that spot, but it was deep. And I tried to pull it up, you know, in a full wool, white-faced rain sheep that fell into the river. That, he weighs about 400 pounds. <laughs> I mean, there's a lot of water in that wool. I tried to pull him up from the ground, and, and there was a little bit of a bank there, so it was a long reach down. There was no way I was going to get him up, even if I was strong enough to lift four hundred pounds i'm not I'm not knee bracing this guy up. you know I'm on my knees on the ground. There was no way I was going to get him up. I had his head above water, but I jumped into the the river. I didn't know how deep it was there, but it was probably up to my waist, maybe a little higher than my waist, and I pushed him up and and had to roll him over the bank eventually and it was everything I could do I was all alone you know and the other flock it's going down they don't care <laughs> and I rolled them up on the bank and and he tried to stand up or she tried to stand up she couldn't get up she's still four hundred pounds. and so you know the water's now running out of the wool but it takes a little while to run out eventually by the time I was getting myself out the sheep started to, uh, and that was a chore too, because I think I had overalls on at the time. I just, Yeah, I did have overalls on at the time. And so I, I weighed quite a bit and uh, finally got her up out of the water and she finally got the water drained out of her wool enough that she could stand up and she was still staggering because the water was still dripping for quite a while until it caught up with the herd. But uh, yeah, so that's work. So that sheep, I don't know if that was the Sabbath. It's very possible it was the Sabbath because uh, they didn't go down by the river all the time. That was just one of the places that would take the sheep from time to time. And uh, But sheep don't like going into the water. It was a narrow path, and somebody else bumped her, and she got too close to the edge and fell in. Sheep won't jump into the water. And I always tell the story. I started read. I bought a book on Abraham, The Song of Abraham, I think was the name of it. I thought, well, I'll read that. That looks good. And I I didn't get to the first chapter and it was talking about the sheep coming down to a river. And of course, the sheep jumped into the water in the deepest part, as sheep will do. No, I closed the book. I never read anymore. <laughs> That would have given me all kinds of knowledge that wasn't true, <laughs> but that, I had that from personal experience. That is not true. I can't. I, it's hard to get sheep to go drink out of the lake where it's a nice gradual down to the lake. Thirsty, and they don't want to. That's too big a body of water. They do not want to go near that because they know they'll drown. Uh, they just know it by instinct. So you, you need you need to walk them by the still waters. You know, little creek. Where it's not too deep And and then they'll go drink out of that <laughs> But if you don't know that You won't get some of these references But uh, you will You'll get them all if you have the Holy Spirit But so anyway He's talking about Getting them out And I have another story about two calves They did fall into a well The well water came right up To the surface of the ground It was an artesian well but two calves fell in there and I spotted them when I was driving by. Cause I saw all the cows hanging around them and I had to go out and I had to pull them out. I don't think I could, have, I, I, I got a rope and I roped one and I was trying to pull out. These are, these are, you know, dry 450 pound calves. <laughs> and I'm trying to pull them out and I am not getting them to drag out on dry ground. And I couldn't jump in that well. It was, I don't know, 15 feet deep. And in uh, jumping in with a bunch of calves, I just got kicked to pieces. Somebody else came by just at the right time, a one-legged guy, but he was he's a strong guy. And he saw me out there struggling, and he came along. And between the two of us, we got him out. And I'm pretty sure that was the Sabbath. And it, we couldn't wait till the next day. They, they'd been dead. <laughs> they floated. <laughs> so, yeah, you can do that. But they've perverted the use, the, the whole meaning of the Sabbath. And, and uh, yeah, you can do good on the Sabbath. So is he saying that you can borrow money? <laughs> well, it depends on motivation. And you can. But it depends on the motivation. You trying to get out of work? Trying to avoid work? Or are you trying to do good? Well, what is it? And are are you being led by the Holy Spirit? Then he said, Then he saith, He to the man, Stretch forth thine hand. And he stretched it forth, and it was restored whole, like the other. Then the Pharisees went out and held counsel against him, how they might destroy him. Why? Has he healed a guy? They were so in love with their ideology. And, of course, he was preaching contrary to their ideology. So they had to destroy him. I mean, this is going to be their motivation. Because, you know, love me, love my ideology. Love my ideology equates to love me. Love my delusion or you don't love me. Love my delusion, or you are my enemy. Well, of course, we see that every day with the liberals. That if you don't love their delusion, if you don't use their pronouns, if you don't do all the, you know, you get get their medical treatments, experimental medical treatments, if you don't do that, you hate them. And they want to see you destroyed. They want to hold you down and force you to take they're poison, and, and you've just seen the tip of the iceberg on this. You're not; they're not done with this because they're all about force. But now if we go over to the conservative side, which is still left of righteousness. <laughs> what well, if they had the opportunity, and they may be taking power here in the next election? They're just going to lead you, and the problem is, is they're more efficient at. You know, the, the the left is way more organized. But the, the right is more likely to get it done. It's like, you know, there's a lot of women who try to commit suicide. And there's a lot of men who try to commit suicide. But there are more successful men that commit suicide than women. Well, the left is the women. That is the female, effeminate side of society today. But the right is the male side of society. Well, being the left, the female and the male doesn't make you right if you're still not operating in righteousness. You know, you say, well, you know, we've got a better plan. We're a little bit smarter. We understand things better and we're on the right. And that may all be true, but you're not on the side of righteousness. Because you're still operating in a system of force. You're still dependent upon a welfare system of legal charity. You're still weakening the poor so that you can have power over there on the right. You're still not you're still not seeking the kingdom. You're still seeking something other than the kingdom. So they, they went to council, I have a footnote there to council and that is uh some bullying. Uh, presumed to be a derivation, a derivation <laughs> uh, of, of another word, which is um, symbolos, which means counselor. So advisors and counselors. So they they got together with this council, and and, and different than sunadrion, which is another word that is translated council which is probably the Greek word for Sanhedrin. It, it doesn't mean, it doesn't directly translate to Sanhedrin, but the authors in Greek were probably using Synodrion, uh when they were referencing Sanhedrin. But here they're just talking about an assembly of, of counselors. So that's just a little anecdote so that you know that every time you see this word, counsel they're not talking about the same thing but now in verse 15 I'll take a look back here and see if anybody's asking a question I see a lot of the same phone callers and uh, no particular questions okay we'll go back I'll cut this out later uh, I have to go back the right page okay verse 15 but when Jesus knew it He withdrew himself from thence, and great multitudes followed him, and he healed them all. Now, we have a picture of great multitudes, we see the B-movies or the movies of Jesus, and you think they're all just hundreds of people walking behind him. That's not probably what they're describing here based on the original Greek and, and the context of this as Matthew is speaking. But a lot of people are following the way of Christ, trying to conform to what christ is saying which is really basically what john the baptist was saying take care of one another through faith hope and charity do good to one another help one another love one another don't covet your neighbor's goods And, and some of them are following because they hear about these miracles the signs and wonders and some are following because there's a part of them that says you know this is right this is good this is different than what we were taught. And it's very clear that the Pharisees didn't want anybody following them. And yet they could see people who were following them, and they couldn't convince the people not to do it. And we'll see several times where they try to convince the people not to do it. So they're actually consulting with one another how they might destroy him. I should put a footnote in there for destroy. So you get an idea of what they mean by destroy because there there are several words that can mean destroy and 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 the nuances of those words will get, maybe sometimes clear up the image but i think some of you are getting it already uh, but there there are a lot of people listening to this right now live but uh many many more will have the opportunity to listen to this you know in the podcast and in other uh forms but it will depend upon the whole network sharing this out with as many people as possible. And I know it's different than a lot of people are used to hearing. But we have hundreds of audios, hundreds of pages, thousands of footnotes. So you can check it out yourself. now A lot of people no matter how much they're just not going to see it. Uh I always remember when I first wrote the pamphlet Romans 13, which is just like just kind of a summary, 5,000 word summary, little tiny pamphlet. Because the people were asking me about Romans thirteen, and I just wrote this little pamphlet, and it, there was a lot in it. But uh, somebody went and shared it with somebody from his church—not capital H his church—just this guy's church. And he, and he read it, and I, I can't remember. I've I've told this story before. i try to remember the exact word that he used, but he said this, this is crazy. Why that's it. I write 5,000 words why ecstasy actually means liberty. Let every man remain subject to the higher liberty because all liberty is of God. Isn't all liberty of God? Absolutely. That's the strongest word in the Greek language for liberty. That That's well known by any Greek scholar. It It doesn't mean government. It means liberty. It means authority. It means the authority to choose the right to choose that's the way it's defined in the concordance let every man remain subject to the higher right to choose which is the definition of liberty the liberty of choice because all liberty all choice all rights are of God anyone who opposes liberty opposes your right to choose opposes God that's what Paul said that's it right there. It's not a tricky translation. It's it's pretty straightforward, cut and dry Greek. But it's too scary. And, you know, King James isn't going to let him translate it that way. Because <laughs> he's having a lot of trouble with people who want liberty from King James. If they started translating it that way, oh my goodness, that the guys who were translating it would probably have their tongues cut out and burned at the stake just like they did with Tyndale so no they're not going to translate it that way but you can look at it yourself now we've got a whole book Higher Liberty Free Online freely came to me freely I give it to you and and, you know most of the time that word appears in the Bible it's about Jesus Jesus' authority And, of course, what we're saying here is Jesus was a king of a government that was taken away from those people who sat in the seat of Moses and given to these other people, appointed to these other people by the king and high priest. Moses was the original king and high priest. He owned the people. But he divided the office away from himself of being king and high priest, Gave the high priest office, which of course the high priest is the one who is in charge of the social welfare of society. He gave that to his brother, and, and he, even though when his brother kind of betrayed him at times, he left it in the hands of his brother. He didn't take it away from his brother. And you know, like he could have stayed king, ruled over the people, but he said, no. I want first. He did. He turned the courts over to the people. So that there, the people, every congregation was a jury, and they could decide fact and law. If they didn't decide it well enough, if somebody thought it was an unjust verdict, they could take it and appeal it to the, the cities of refuge. And again, what's the cities of refuge? What's well, a polis of refuge? Of course, that's the Greek word, polis. But that that was the Levites. What was the job of the Levites? Charity. They were men of charity and mercy. That, that, that was their livelihood. The more charitable and more merciful and wise they are with the gifts that were given to them by the people, freely given to them by the people, the more likely they would continue to hold office if the people's heart was in the right place and the Levites' heart was in the right place. Well, now, if you were... You were tried and it was, you know, a bunch of bigots holding a grudge against you or your family. You could appeal to them and nobody could touch you while you were appealing to the city of refuge. You didn't have to be a real fast runner. You just had to appeal to them. And anybody who killed you could be charged with murder because you had appealed to the cities of refuge. Until the cities of refuge kicked you out and said, oh, no, we reject your appeal. Or as long as you were appealing to them, they could say, no, this, that verdict was invalid and you can't kill this guy. You can't do it. And we have a whole article on it if you want to learn more. But this was God's system of justice. If you didn't have two eyewitnesses, you can't convict that guy of murder. You had to have those two eyewitnesses now you can still have the trial and you can have circumstantial evidence nobody has to do business with you again nobody has to come to your aid again they don't have any obligation you don't you don't get any social welfare anymore if they think you're guilty and that's an individual call of the ministers who are in charge of social welfare of the people who are in charge of picking the minister uh, the people who want to sit down and listen to you and they they think you're a murderer. They can tell you, I think you're a murderer. I don't want to hear anything you have to say. You can still say it, but you can't interrupt them when they're talking. And so you become an – nobody will do business with you. They, they don't have to sell you food. They don't have to help you. You become an outcast. And they can tell their ministers the stones of the altar – that guy's a murderer. That guy's a wife-beater. Now, we don't have two eyewitnesses, but we have enough circumstantial evidence. We don't want you to take care of them in their time of need. And they, they could literally, that would be a way to describe what would just happen when the people all agree to this and stand up for what's right. That guy was just stoned. They didn't hit him with rocks. But the stones of the altar are not going to feed this guy when he's hungry. They're not going to help him when he has need. They're not going to take donations from him either. He is outside the camp. Now, there's two ways of stoning. You can do it up against a wall inside the camp, and you can do it outside. And, you know, maybe you repent and people will bring it back. It depends on the seriousness of the crime. And these are the judgments. You're right to choose. Now, hopefully, you're listening to the Holy Spirit in this. And not just angry or, you know, all worked up and emotional. That you're actually listening to the Holy Spirit. Because that guy may repent. And there may be all kinds of circumstances that that are different with every case. So so you have to take a look at that, and you have to listen to the Holy Spirit. But that's how they're judicious. So Moses turned that judicial part of society over to the people on a grassroots basis. He wasn't appointing judges over these people. Uh, I know a lot of times it says he was appointing rulers, but if you go look at the Hebrew... There's the word sar-resh-resh, and then there's the word sar-resh. The Levites and even other people were rulers over what they were freely given. If you gave them part of your sacrifice and say, do with this what you think is right, you can come back and say, well, I don't think you should use that. I mean, you could say it, but you can't take it away from them because it's freely given. It's completely given. It's burned up to you. You have no more rights to that thing that you gave him. And if you see him misusing it, you don't have to give to him again. That's the government of God. That's the kingdom of God. That's not the kingdoms of the world. You can see them sending millions of dollars off to the Ukraine or millions of dollars off to China, you know, to create a COVID virus or stuff like that. You can't do anything about it. You whine and cry. You write your congressman, but nothing ever seems to happen. You got runaway inflation now because the government's spending more money than it's bringing in. Because none of them are Sabbath keepers, because you haven't been a Sabbath keeper in fifty years, half a century or more. Now, I mean, you might go to a church on Saturday, but you're taking benefits daily, and your parents are taking benefits. They're all based on borrowed money. It's not. It's not in any. There's there's no solvent treasury fund. You know, so Social Security has never been solvent. Never, ever been. Read an article on Social Security. I won't explain it now so that we can get through this. So you need to, to understand how this works. So, you know, like I said, that, uh, the multitude follows him. They're starting to follow his way. They're starting to say, you know, I like what Jesus is saying. And charges them that they should not make him known. So some of these people, this multitude, which is a large amount, we don't know if it's thousands or maybe a couple hundred, are starting to follow him. And he says, "Don't make me known yet. Don't tell everybody." But of course, you know, best way to keep a secret is whisper. <laughs> so it's going to get out anyway. But he's he's public, but he doesn't want it over. You know, he's he's preparing in his right time that it might be fulfilled which was spoken by uh, Isaiah the prophet saying behold my servant whom I have chosen my beloved in whom my soul is well pleased I will put my spirit upon him and he shall show judgment to the Gentiles to the other nations so there, there's a bigger plan afoot here, and we'll touch on that more and more as we go. But this is partly why he's doing it. He's already exposed himself to the – I can guarantee you through the temple and through all the Pharisees and a lot of the Sadducees, this news is going around like like a hot potato. They they all know this Christ is – I mean, he's he's worse than John the Baptist. he got more people following him than John the Baptist. He's got almost everybody that was following John the Baptist following him. But now he's got more and more, and he's growing more and more influence. They hated John the Baptist, who, who would not do things on the Sabbath. He was not teaching them of the, the fallacy of, of uh, removing the meaning of the metaphor. He was keeping those things as a good Nazarite. He was doing that. He was keeping those things, but uh, they hated him anyway because he was saying what? If your neighbor has no coat, has a need, whether in clothing or meats or housing or whatever, do it by charity. Don't do it by force. And what were the Pharisees doing? They're doing it by a system like the system of FDR like the system of Nimrod, like the system of Cain, like the system in Sodom. They were doing it by force. They were establishing legal charity voluntarily to consent. But it tells you way back in Proverbs, if sinners entice you, what are sinners? People who covet. If they entice you to say, let's all have one purse, you know, it tells you this in Proverbs right away. Consent not. What did they do? They could send it. They all have one purse. That means that now the government can put its hand in your pocket and your pocket and your pocket and your pocket for the greater good. but you, all your purses are now belong to the government. They can say ten percent, twenty percent, thirty percent they can take it, they can take it, take it, take. Why didn't you know that? Why didn't your parents know that? They couldn't have known that without the Holy Spirit why didn't they have the Holy Spirit because gradually ideologies crept into modern Christianity so that people weren't doing what Christ said to do anymore they were doing it 200 years ago in a lot of churches, not all of them but a lot more than I see today but today people don't go to church if they have a need they go to the government they go to men who exercise authority I mean, and that's not a secret in the Bible that Jesus said not to be that way. That's right there in the text. But they don't want to hear it. But if they're going to tune in to us, they're going to hear it. (laughs) Uh, So, behold, my servants, whom I have chosen, my beloved, in whom my soul is well pleased, I will put my spirit upon him And he shall show judgment to the Gentiles, the other nations. Well, the Pharisees are becoming that other nation. Right now, at this moment, they're sitting in the seat of Moses. But they will say, we have no king but Caesar. They won't say, we have no king but Moses. They're going to say, we have no king but Caesar. At that moment, they became Gentiles because Caesar was a Gentile. (laughs) It was another nation. They're going to make themselves Gentiles. And Jesus is going to bring judgment upon them. And the amazing thing is, who's going to bring that judgment upon them? Caesar. (laughs) Because they're going to say we have no king but Caesar. But they're not even going to honor Caesar. And Caesar is going to come down on them with both feet. So, you know, but that's that's the way it goes. If you're, you're not going to be honest with yourself, you're not going to be honest with anybody else. And this is why Christ says to be friends with the unrighteous mammon. If you will cheat the unrighteous mammon who you are legitimately in contract with, you're going to pay the price. You're going to have trauma. Now, I'm not I'm not judging you because everybody comes at this different, and they're trying to find the truth, and they're willing to risk all because they're trying to find the truth. That's a good thing. But they have to be as wise as a serpent. And so that's why I'm coming along with all this data and information. There is a way out of the system, but it's not an easy way. There's a burden with it. We talked about that this morning. But that burden will be light compared to the burden that's coming to all those who want to keep following the ways of Cain and the ways of Nimrod and the ways of Sodom and the ways of Gomorrah and the ways of unrighteousness. There's a burden on them too. And we already see it getting greater and greater and greater. So, so we need to turn around our thinking. He shall not strive nor cry, neither shall any man hear his voice in the streets. So this is part of what Jesus is talking about. Don't go out and make me known. I'm not gonna. I'm not gonna profess myself. Even when he was before Pontius Pilate, and they said, "Well, are you a king?" He didn't say, "I am a king." He said, "Thou sayest it, I am a king." He's just bearing witness to what is already. I mean, that's why he's there because they think he's a king. The question is, is he the legitimate king? And of course, Rome has the right to decide that. If Israel has a legitimate contract with Rome to make that decision, and we've already told the story why that why that contract was not legitimate, and Rome even knew it, we explained why Rome knew it. They were invited there to decide that, but they were invited there by somebody who was not the rightful king. And Jesus never invited him, and he was the rightful king, and they knew it. Pontius Pilate knew a lot more than it says in the text. We know this because his wife knew a lot more than it says in the text. But we know that the wife gives reference to the fact that she knew knew more, that this is a righteous man. Don't don't do anything to this man. I can guarantee you there were hundreds of conversations in the Pilate home (laughs) about Jesus and what he was doing what he meant There were hundreds of conversations Amongst the Roman legions About what Jesus was doing There were conversations Amongst the soldiers That worked for uh, Herod Antipas And I don't know how many of the soldiers Were still in favor of Jesus Christ They knew That if Jesus Christ became king There would not be a professional army There would be a militia a well-organized militia, because that's always what Israel had. But that militia would not be organized because everybody dressed up in camo and marched around with their, you know, AR-14 swords and spears and, and body armor. They were a militia first because they were practicing pure religion and creating the brotherhood of the band of brothers created because that prepared them more for war than anything else. But of course they were not going to win by war no more than the Israelites defeated the Egyptians by war. When it came down to the final defeating of the Egyptians who were coming down violating their covenant and contract with Moses they had let these people go, and now they were going to come down on it. But God was going to be their protector. You're going to need that. Years and years ago, when I first wrote the first book, and I started putting it out, people asked me if this works. And I know a lot of you have heard this story before. But people asked me, does this work? And I was astonished at the question. I'm like, what works? I'm just telling you how it works. I'm I'm not telling you what works. I'm telling you how it works. And they want to know, well, if we – because they thought I was giving them, you know, you do step one, step two, step three, step four, and you'll get out of the system. You won't have to pay taxes anymore. I don't say anything like that. But what I'm saying is, you know, how you can return to your father and the ways of your father, the way of righteousness. Now, where does that way lead you? It leads you down to the shores of the Red Sea, which is where Moses led the people, down to the shores of the Red Sea. So they had the sea blocking their way and all the armies of Pharaoh coming down on them with everything they got. And so this is where it will take you. If if that's where you want to go, uh, that's a place of faith. Because you you have to put yourself at the mercy of God and say, you know, I can't solve this on my own. But I if I conform to the ways of righteousness, because that's what we're supposed to be seeking. It doesn't say seek the kingdom in a way out of the system of the world. It says seek the kingdom of God and his righteousness. If that's what you're seeking, God will provide the rest. How many times did you hear Jesus say that? So Jesus is not going to cry out his voice in the streets. He's not going to say Hosanna in, in the highest. But the people will say it. Pontius Pilate will say three times, this is the king of Judea. This is the king of Judea. This is the king of Judea. Jesus is not going to say it. So verse 20, a bruised reed shall he not break. A smoking flax shall he not quench till he... Send forth judgment unto victory. Smoking flax. What would smoking flax be? You know, they used to make wicks out of flax. And, uh, you know, like it was mostly oil lamps. They didn't have a lot. They did have candles, you know, out of beeswax and sometimes out of fats that they would render down so they were pretty stiff. But most, without some beeswax in with the fat, in a uh, arid hot climate like that, your candles will be sagging over in a short period of time. Although there are ways in which you can take uh, waxes and even fat and you can treat them with all of them and they will be more rigid and they will be less likely to melt down. But you have to have all the moisture out of the fat. But most often, because that's a big process, most often people had oil lamps. Well, oil lamps still take... A wick, and in those days the wick was mostly made out of flax, you know, that woven into a thread. And uh, we can show you how to do that. <laughs> so anyway, but uh, a bruise reed shall not, he shall not break. So he's not going to do this with force. And in his name shall the Gentiles trust. So he's telling you, Gentiles, Gentiles means other nation, ethnos. Other nations will trust. Many Jews will trust as well. Many Jews people said, "Well, the Jews didn't accept him, so he had to go to the Gentiles." What nonsense! Didn't you even read the book? You know, if this, this is your book report, I'm going to give you an F because you clearly did not read the assignment. Because we know, two thousand one day, three thousand the next, or vice versa, uh, at Pentecost, those are all Jews, and that that represents five thousand families. That, that probably represents at least 20,000, 30,000 people. There's only 100,000 people living in, Judea, uh, in Jerusalem at that time. And that's just, you know, in two days at Pentecost, all becoming Christians, leaving the system of social welfare. Now, we're not to that point. You can't all leave the system of social welfare. But there will come a time where you can leave the system of social welfare of the world. And No longer be collateral for the debt, because they'll cut you off hard and fast from their stores. but tell you what they're going to cut you off anyway. <laughs> they have huge stores of food, and it deals all over the United States uh, a lot of them are around washington d c but they're they're moving they've they've created a lot of them down in and other places out in montana they've done it all over the place. And these are all supposed to be secret. Nobody's supposed to know about them. I don't know anything about them, if you ask me. <laughs> but I, I'm i not looking to them for my salvation, so it doesn't matter. But I can guarantee that they're going to cut a lot of people out, and they're not going to let them in. They're going to be locking the doors because they want most of you dead. A large percentage of them want most of you dead because they think the planet can't sustain 7 billion people, 8 billion people. They've accepted that lie. Uh, I mentioned that this morning. They think that, you know, they think a billion people is too many. So they want most of you dead. And they believe in that because they've accepted this lie and they've been brainwashed to think this true. The truth is this planet could support, you know, uh, 10 billion people, 15 billion people, 20 billion people. And you would still have pristine ground everywhere. And virtually no real pollution anywhere. But that can only be produced by people following the Holy Spirit. And you don't have that now. People have been drifting away from the Holy Spirit more and more all the time. Most of the greatness of America began with a few short generations in the early days. The Civil War was the wrong ways to go. Freeing the slave was a good idea. We could have done that peacefully. But they didn't free the slaves. At the same time that the slaves were freed, they brought everybody back into bondage. Now that bondage has grown. You know, they created this whole thing we call civil rights. If you become a citizen of the United States. And we tell about that in other places. We'll get off the subject. And we don't just tell about it. We explain to you how it works. We give you the actual laws, the step-by-step. I could give you even more than is written on the pages and all the footnotes. But if you can't believe what we've already written, but it doesn't really matter. What I want you to focus on is not the mistakes we made in the past. Those are important so we don't make them again in the future because we repeat history over and over again. But there's principles involved in why we did some of the things that we did or Whoever well, was doing them, I'm not that old I didn't do all of them But The, the fact is, is That we have to go this other way This other route uh, And uh, That's what you want to focus on the, the rest of it will come clear We've got a lot of it explained And if the spirit leads you, you can go back And of course if you have arguments with people And you have some familiarity with it You can say Well here, read this article Read this article. I already did the work for you, and, and we're we're working on deals so that we have lots of pamphlets now that you can just print up and hand to people, and they can read it. But the reality, a lot of people aren't going to accept it. And even if they figured out what we're saying, they're not going to have the faith to go this way, because you can't conjure up the faith. The faith is a gift. People don't understand faith. We had a minister talking about faith, and he 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 has a pretty good idea, but it, it's a difficult topic to grasp but faith is a gift from god i mean real faith i mean you have faith in all kinds of stuff you know you can you can have faith in chevys rather than fords <laughs> my son's always joking about that i don't always not, but you know he's you know he's, he believes that ford stands for fix and repair daily or, or repair daily. <laughs> and you know it has jokes like You know, why do Fords come with their hoods up? (laughs) Save time. (laughs) But uh, so you can have faith in Chevy, but Chevy's break down too. (laughs) But that's not faith. It is a form of trust. But faith is a conviction. You can't, once you have real faith, you can't go against faith. And if you find yourself going against that faith, those values, those standards that come with faith, and you find yourself going against them, you you you're not focused on the faith. You're being distracted. And uh, and you don't want to be distracted. You you don't want to give in to that temptation. Because you give in to a little bit, then it's a little bit more and a little bit more, and a little bit more. And so that's why we have to gather together, because if your if your body sees you strain, he can say, hey, you know, you're, you're stepping off the path. You're getting close to that quicksand. You're getting close to the edge, and you're going to fall in the river there. And you don't want to do that. And they can help you. That's that's why we gather together too. Because in that, and speaking up, and this is really where I want to go a little bit today. I'm going to go back this way a lot of times. We We have an obligation to speak up and warn people of the hazards before them. You know, if you dig a pit, you got to put a barricade around it so nobody falls in the pit. Or you may become responsible for their injury. If somebody else digs a pit and you know the pit is there and you see somebody heading off that way, you have to say, you know, I didn't put a barricade around that because somebody else dug it and I haven't been over there yet. But there's a pit over there. You have to be careful. You have an obligation to warn them. Discussion with one of our ministers this morning And with several other people in the last few days Boards School boards uh, Hospital boards um, Bank boards Corporation boards They have a responsibility And I see that nobody knows how to be a board member anymore You know, they pick somebody to be in charge of some institution and they just give him his head. And and he starts doing something wrong, and nobody speaks up about it. Because some of the guys on the board like him. And you say, is what he's doing, is that the wisest thing to do? And they meet a little flack back and says, oh, he's a great guy. I really like him. Well, you're an idiot. <laughs> he's doing bad things. He's doing corrupt things. He's doing uh, foolish things. yeah, You meet this obstacle and the board member shuts up and he doesn't speak up anymore. No, he has to speak up. He has an obligation to speak up. He has to say, you know, I'm withdrawing my vote from this guy. You other guys, you know, if I get enough guys to withdraw the vote, we'll get somebody else. We'll replace him. Maybe they'll go and talk to him. You know, they can say, okay, they got, what, 10 people on the board and, and Eight of them think that he's kind of going overboard here a little bit. Says, so let's form a delegation to go and talk to him. Maybe one guy who's really good friends with him and says, well, I'll go talk to him. and See if we can get him to change his ways here. And he, and, and he doesn't listen to that one guy. So that go, guy goes back to the board and he says he didn't want to listen to me.
1: He said, well, you
0: send two guys from the board and go and talk to him. Now, why is this important? Because every congregation is a board of directors. (laughs) By themselves, they have no power over anybody else on the board. But they're supposed to be having the conversation. About who? Well, any minister within the network of congregations. But mostly about their minister in the network. Their minister's minister is doing something wrong. They don't take it to their minister's minister. They take it to their minister. And they say, you know, he's doing this. I don't think he should be doing that. What do you think? And he, you know, they have the conversation. If they had done that in the time of Samuel, they would not have needed a king. But the weakness of their boards, the effeminate nature of their boards, men wrestle, men joust with one another they're not afraid of conflict you don't want a bunch of men who are afraid of conflict you want men who are ready for conflict not anxious to have conflict but if conflict comes they're ready that's what what real men are they're ready to act and they won't even act on a board because of conversation they might upset their fishing buddy what the heck what are you doing Your congregation should be lively conversations. If some people in your conversation are just talking about survivalism and, you know, and and the evil, wicked Democrats or the corrupt Republicans, you know, uh, Mitch McConnell and the millions he's made or, uh, you know, all the different people. I'm not even going to go through their names because it's different in Australia. I'm sure if you live in Australia, you've you got a list of names you could pull from, or Canada, Trudeau, and all of his cronies. They're everywhere, England, and, and you could talk about that, but you know that's not kingdom conversation. Not, you know, you can, I'm not saying you can't have those conversations, but when you're together in a congregation, your focus should be on the kingdom. What are you guys doing to promote the kingdom? If I'm the only one you know talking about the kingdom and the ways of the kingdom, then you should be promoting that. All the, you know, we give them away for free. We we, we don't have, uh, I don't know if I've taken them all down. We used to have it so you could buy CDs and stuff, but nobody does that anymore. You can download them all on the internet. Back in the days of dial up, a lot of people couldn't download the audios, and now we make the audios a lot better quality, and you can download them all for free. And when you're driving in your car, you can pull them up on, you know, Spotify or almost any you know, iTunes or anybody, and listen to. Them. And the more you do that, the more they will promote us because they say, "Oh my gosh, they're trending." And then the more people that are, are that hear it and like it, they can do the same. And and share it with other people. You now, some of the people you share it with, they're not going to like it. They may even criticize you. But be a good board member. (laughs) See, because if you hesitate to share it, because somebody might not like you. Somebody might say something nasty to you. Somebody might think bad of you. You're being an effeminate board member. (laughs) You're, You're afraid of confrontation. Now, I'm not saying start arguments with everybody. But if you know the truth, if you know somebody's talking about the dangers to come, and not, not with a fair content that, you know, I saw in Joe Rogan. Not that what he was saying was wrong. But if you focus on that, you know, everybody's going to be running around. I'm I'm focusing on the solution. I have to mention the problem now and then. But the solution is that you men have to start being men, stepping up to what men should be doing. In order to do that, you have to step up together. In order to come together, you have to have the conversations that clear the air on exactly where everybody stands. And you should not be afraid of that conversation. You should not stifle that conversation because it's not what you would say. Have the conversation. Contemplate what your brother has said. And if you think it's wrong, say why you think it's wrong. Don't be afraid of having the conversation. You're not going to be able to stand up to the enemy if you're afraid to stand up to your friends or those who claim to be your friends. Every con- congregation is bored. When every congregation comes together, they should be willing to have this, these conversations. Now, don't try to have them all one night, you know, but be willing to have them. And if you don't come to a resolution that night, stick a pin in it. <laughs> that's, a, that's an expression that people use. Stick a pen in. Say, you know, I'm going to go home and I'm going to, it's really easy to do. I'm going to go home and pray about everything that you said. I'm going to really try to get down into my heart and see if I can't figure it out. And I pray you do the same. And brother, I I want, want to meet with you again next week, even if you're just on phones. And hash this out. And if you find yourself being stubborn and saying, oh no, it's this way, you know, we have to overthrow the 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 tyrants and you know they've usurped authority, and they're all committed fraud, and so well let's let's clean out the beam in our own eye. I mean, isn't that what Christ said? I'm just giving you what he said. I'm not making up new rules. We're a way better off cleaning out the beams in our own eyes. We'll see things much clearer and you and that's why you gather is to help one another do that. You know, I've had stuff in my eyes, sometimes actually like pieces of metal, wood. I've had I had slivers sticking all the to my hand. I've led an active life and had lots of broken bones to show it. Actually, this week I got sick with something. I mean, I was sick. I was down for the count for a couple of days. Didn't last real long, but it was severe. I mean, I lost 10 pounds in two days, not more than 10 pounds, but at least 10 pounds in two days. And uh, it was rough. And then I was just barely recovering. All of a sudden I realized I had an interview with uh, Slover. So when you see me talking on Slover's interview in a couple of weeks, <laughs> uh, have mercy on me if I didn't do things as well as I should. I, I, I was just, you know, uh, coming out of a uh, deathly illness. But every illness, you know, it's often, I hadn't eaten anything in like four or five days. Uh, At least four full days, and then it was probably part of the fifth day. And I've only eaten a little tiny bit since then. I broke fast last night. And uh, that fasting is good. It's stress uh, on this old man's body. But that's good because stress awakens things in your epigenetics. It's part of the deal. Fasting is good for your health. And that was kind of a forced fasting. (laughs) And so whatever... You know, when God gets allows me to become sick like that, I, I think like, okay, what am I learning here? Because there, there were a few times there where, if uh, if I was a bed man, I w- would call an ambulance because <laughs> I w- I was really bad off. But then I I I repented of that thought. Not that you couldn't. Uh, and I said, okay, God, it's up to you. And you know, I did a lot of meditating. Uh, I couldn't do much else (laughs) and a lot of fasting, a lot of prayer and waited upon the Lord and he's healed me. Maybe better. Maybe, maybe there are good things that are going to come of this. I've actually had a couple of revelations during that process. And, and I talked to my daughter about it this morning and and some of the things that we want to do. And maybe we'll do them. I don't know. We'll see. But, uh, Uh, so anyway whatever happens your way good or bad you take it as a blessing somehow God can turn it to good and and you have to you have to approach life now I'm not going to say that that's always going to be easy and it's not going to be without pain or burden but in the long run his burden is light and and so uh trust in the Lord and because That trust in the Lord takes practice But start becoming good board members Good congregations In order to do that you have to become a part of a congregation In order to become a part of a congregation You have to uh, gather together Oh I see there are more numbers calling in Uh, Okay no hands raised Nobody with a name in front of the chat room for me I see some more familiar names That have come in in the chat room And uh, so anyway Oh yeah I guess they are still in there They're just not talking all the time Okay, But anyway uh, So we'll finish up here We'll get into this with Matthew 10 And uh, Okay so let's see Did I slip down too far? Yeah okay Uh, In 22 did I read that Then was brought unto him One possessed with a devil, blind and dumb, evidently a part of that possession. And he healed him in so much that the blind and dumb both spake and saw. So it says one possessed. I have to look at the Greek to find out if that's actually, because uh, it could be one possessed with a devil, one blind, one dumb. <laughs> But you'd have to look at the context of it. But right here, the translation looks like there's one guy possessed with a devil who is also blind and dumb. But when you read on farther in the English, it didn't quite sound like, but this is older English. And they said things a little bit different. And and I don't think it's all that significant. But what is significant is what we want to get to. And all the people were amazed and said, is not this the son of David? Because all of a sudden, blind men are seeing, dumb men are speaking, and, and, and evidently the devil is gone. And, of course, the devil, it actually means adversary, so I don't know if it's an actual spirit, but it appears it could be, because that's the kind of thing that a spirit would do. And it does it by trauma. You have trauma in your life. And trauma creates dark spots in your corporeal and incorporeal hereditaments of personality in short terms, your soul. <laughs> it puts dark spots in your soul. And the same word that is often translated soul is often translated mind. There's other words for soul and there's other words for mind. But your mind and soul are inexplicably linked. That's why I say corporeal and incorporeal, herediments of personality. Because the actual soul in the sense of spirit is incorporeal, not corporeal. But the corporeal one, that's like your brain. That's like your mind. And and that's actually like your whole body and every cell in your body and all the epigenetics of your body. And it actually includes all the bacteria that is inside your body because there's millions and millions of bacteria living in you. They're absolutely essential for you to live. They're a part of your life. They're a part of your body. And sometimes certain bacterias get in there that cause you to have an appetite for sugar. (laughs) That's just one They can give you all kinds of appetites Well if they get too prominent They're going to make you feel like I need sugar You don't want to be listening to them But that's still a part of the Corporeal herediments of your personality But if the Holy Spirit Is everywhere in your body It will regulate The epigenetics of your body Because it will change The frequency inside you It will resonate with the DNA of your body and the epigenetic DNA of your body. It will begin to alter the way in which you operate and live. And though you be deathly ill, God can heal you through that process. But you have to submit to God. You could submit to the world and run down to a surgeon or a doctor. And again, I'm not telling you not to do that. I'm telling you to follow the Holy Spirit you personally have to follow the Holy Spirit because maybe he wants you to go down to that doctor maybe he wants you to bear witness to that doctor maybe he wants you to meet somebody down there I don't know I can't can't regulate your day-to-day life I'm talking about the principle the principle is either you're following the Holy Spirit or you're not and of course that may change from moment to moment (laughs) which is but you want to be in the moment in the kingdom where you're doing that. That's that's your goal. That's what you're seeking. But that's an individual journey that you have to make. But this guy saw and spake, and they said the people were amazed and said, you know, is this the son of David? So why are they thinking the son of David? Does David have anything with healing? But this is the question they're asking. But when the Pharisees heard it, they said, this fellow does. Not cast out devils, but by Beelzebub, the prince of the devils. And we could do a whole study on Beelzebub. I may even have a page up on that. I didn't put a link in, but I just reminded myself to check and do that later. But And Jesus knew their thoughts. So he knew their thoughts and said unto them, Every kingdom divided against itself is brought to desolation. And every city or house divided against itself shall not stand. And if Satan cast out Satan, the adversary cast out the adversary, he is divided against himself, how shall then his kingdom stand? And if I, by Beelzebub, Cast out devils, by whom do your children cast them out? Therefore, they shall be your judges. But if I cast out devils by the Spirit of God, then the kingdom of God is come unto you. Or else, how can one enter into a strong strong man's house And spoil his goods. Except he first blind the strong man. And then he will spoil his house. He that is not with me is against me. And he that gathereth not with me scattereth abroad. Wherefore I saw unto you all manner of sin and blasphemy shall be forgiven unto him. But the blasphemy against the Holy Ghost shall not be forgiven unto men. Now that should actually be right there, another topic. I actually already have that way up here, but I think I'll shift that around a little bit so that we make it clear because that's actually starting a new topic at that point. And the topic we saw before that is something else. But Jesus just described to you all the problems of the United States, Australia, England, western world and even most of Africa and a lot of other places probably everywhere in the world China all this stuff and the new world order because the new world order is casting out billions of people they want to get rid of billions of people they're divided against their own kingdom they say oh we want to get rid of these guys there's too many people we want to and they're casting them out they want them to die and a lot of people don't realize that, but they talk about it openly. I've seen standing ovations when they talk about reducing the world's population. They don't want to share what they have with anybody else. They they want to decrease the birth rate, which is happening already. It's been happening for a while, but it just took a huge jump. A lot of births, a lot less pregnancies. And and this is inevitable. I mean, we talked about when we went through the old prophets, drying up the wombs of your daughter and making them empty again, that this is what they would do. And how are they doing that? The first way is through legal charity, and then through legal charity, they degrade the people so much they gain more and more power. And as they gain more and more power, then they can introduce all kinds of things that will even make the matters worse. So they're pushing for population collapse because they don't want to share the world with anybody just with their little groupie groupies. And of course, there's a lot of congregations out there that have that same spirit in them. They're not thinking kingdom. They're thinking their little congregation, their little isolated little group in the hills or the mountains. You know, we got a couple of farms and we're growing food and and we got a bunch of stuff stocked up and we got a bunch of ammo. We're just going to hold out up here. What about the rest of the world? Christ came that the whole world might be saved. You're just trying to save your little goopy-goop. That's the spirit of the new world order. Because they're going to all be down in their their, their, their caves and their caverns <laughs> and their tunnels with all their freeze-dried food and all the different things that they've stocked up, saying that they stocked it up with your money or borrowing money against the future of your children. But they're not going to share it with you. They'll share it with some. But only those that are absolutely manipulatable and obedient to their will. But their house won't stand. That their, their their house will collapse. And Jesus is telling you that. That's what he's talking about. You know, if Satan cast out the other people, because and, and we've seen it before. Mm, communist regimes rise up when they all rise up out of this legal charity idea that's been pushed by, you know. Karl Marx and all those guys. Legal charity, that's the way to go. You know, the government owns everything. That's one purse. We're not to consent to that. But how many how many people have quoted that? Proverbs, let's all have one purse, consent not, because their feet run towards evil. And the, the what the system that they are creating is the net and the snare laid out before the bird. That's what they're telling you in Proverbs. You look up our article on one person. Or look up our article on dainties of the king. It's all, they're all a, t- a snare and a trap. You look up our article on snare. <laughs> where Paul quotes David and says, what should have been for your welfare is a snare. It's the same theme over and over again. But how many people have pointed out that that's why we're against communism Because it's a covetous practice that will make merchandise of you and will bring you to destruction. And of course we've seen that in history that it brought millions upon millions of people to destruction and it destroyed themselves because a house like that can't stand. But the evil that's behind it loves the chaos. They love the, the anger, the hate, the violence that it creates because They actually get power when you're afraid. And and when you're angry, evil gets power from your anger. Because anger and fear, same thing again. Anger is the fight mode of fear. And flight, cowardness, running away, is the flight mode of fear. it's, It's the same thing. But Christ said fear not and of course you so you're supposed to have courage where are you going to get that courage you got going to brainwash yourself to be courageous and trusting in God no you have to submit and the Holy Spirit will give you that courage to speak up but like I said if you can't speak up at a congregation meeting and and, and speak up on Facebook <laughs> or some of the other social media you know like I don't want to share that I'll get flack if I share that If you won't do that, how in the world are you going to stand against the powers of evil? You know, you're pretty safe on Facebook. You know what I mean? You know, guard us against being totally censored. We've had some things censored lately, some posts, because they will. And so, you know, be as wise as the serpent. Try to get around that. But we're going to eventually get on well, – we're already on other platforms, and we're going to get on that. But the most important platform you need to get on right now is the email groups on the network groups that you can get onto to at PreparingYou, or HisHolyChurch.org will lead you to the PreparingYou, and you can get on those groups. But then once you're on those groups, the purpose of those groups is to help you organize into the tens, hundreds, and thousands, which are just free assemblies. You know, you'll have to sew some underwear for me. Now, that's kind of a, if you don't know what that means, read more. Because <laughs> in the old days, the Levites were supposed to be sewing the underwear, not the Levites, but the people who were supposed to be sew, sewing the breeches of the Levites. So you can look up the article on breeches. It has nothing to do with their underwear, but it has to do with the naked, clothing the nakedness of your brethren. It has to do with that, which is back in that thing, you know, the, those guys who don't even know they're Christians, and they're and I know guys who who help provide that for my nakedness out here in the world, and they, you know, they didn't know anything about. And they did it out of the blue. I, I was thinking, like, who sent this guy to do this? And he just said, I don't know. I just thought about it, oh, oh, oh. and I won't go into that whole story. But yeah, so I, I was with that guy right up to the time he died, and he lived a lot longer because we took care of him. And I, you know, his wife always was worried that he wasn't becoming a Christian, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. He was more of a Christian than almost anybody I knew. He wasn't without flaws. But in some ways, he had integrity that I didn't find in a lot of other Christians. (laughs) But anyway, uh, it taught me a lot in being a servant to him and his family. But, uh, so anyway, let's see. Where did we leave off there? Okay, wherefore I say unto you all, all manner of sin And blasphemy shall be forgiven unto men. But blasphemy against the Holy Ghost shall not be forgiven unto men. And whosoever speaketh a word against the Son of Man, it shall be forgiven him. But whosoever speaketh against the Holy Ghost, it shall not be forgiven him. Neither in this world, neither in the world to come. So the question is, what do you think that word there is in Matthew eleven thirty two that he talks about in this world? I mean, we see the word twice in. Uh, let's see. Now that's interesting. Am I in the... Ra- oh, no, I'm in Matthew twelve thirty two. Did I say 11, 32? <laughs> I was thinking like, there isn't even a verse 32. <laughs> but anyway, so, yeah, I've got it right here. So, if we look at that word world, and I asked you first and so that you can ponder it, what do you think that word world there is? Because it's actually two different words. The first one, is in is the word ale and the second one what word is that is that cosmos constitutional order system of government no the second one isn't that either he says the world to come and he's actually talking about uh another word entirely let's see wait a minute three one nine five is there another word translated world Ah, it, it is. Oh, I know why. We see that word. I don't see it. I'll, I'll have to fix that in, in in preparing you. The word "world" isn't even in the context. It isn't even. There isn't a the Greek word there that means "world" for the second word "world." They just put it in there. And the, in the original text. It's italicized. Whenever you see a word italicized in a King James Bible, it means that that was not in the original Greek text, but the translators put it in to help make the sentence more understandable. And a lot of times it does. But sometimes it creates confusion. But there is no... The first world there is neither in this age, neither in the To come, that to come. So, in essence, it is an extenuation of that first word age. In this age or in the age to come. But it doesn't actually say in the Greek text in the age to come. It kind of says in that thing that shall be. Uh, So, it's, it's not really necessarily talking about age, but whatever shall be in the future. So, now let's go back to can't be forgiven blasphemy against the Holy Spirit is that true if if I said something bad and blasphemed against the Holy Spirit I I can never be forgiven of that no I don't believe that that's what it means two things that we have to look at is one is what does the word blaspheme mean and I have an article on that I'll link to that too but also is it while you are blaspheming against the Holy Spirit, you can't be forgiven. If you're blaspheming against the Holy Spirit, as long as you continue to do that, you can't be forgiven. Now what is the Holy Spirit? The Holy Spirit is the Tree of Life. If you won't go to the Holy Spirit, if you won't go to the Tree of Life, if you reject the Tree of Life, if you reject the Holy Spirit, that you can't be forgiven. You can think you're born again. You can think you're saved and all this stuff. But if you're not listening to the Holy Spirit, and the Holy Spirit's talking to every one of you right now, by its mere existence, it's trying to communicate with you. But through trauma and through pride and through a variety of other things that have gotten into you, you're blocking the Holy Spirit. Now, you may not be blocking it all the time. Maybe sometimes you do hear it. In some areas, you hear it. But because of those dark spots in your own heart and those things that you reject, you don't want to see, you can't get as close to the Holy Spirit as you need to get. Because as you go near the Holy Spirit, you go near the light. And as you go near the light, it exposes those dark spots. And the reason that trauma is in there is because something bad happened to you and you hid from it. You hid it from yourself. You did not want to see it. Somebody abused you, you, and it caused you to abuse somebody else. It created guilt, whatever. And so you've been cut off from the tree of life. I mean, Adam and Eve fled the tree of life. And we need to go back there again. And unless we go back there again, we cannot be forgiven. To rejection of the Holy Spirit is something that you can't be forgiven. Now, Jesus also said, forgive so that you may be forgiven. So you think, I'm born again, but I don't want to forgive this guy and that guy and this guy and Obama and, and Biden and, and Mao Zedong and whoever. You don't want to forgive them. You want to judge them. You want to be angry at them. Well, you can't be forgiven. You can be forgiven some things. But you have trauma. You have blockage in you. You have anger in you. You're a surfing God when you won't forgive It doesn't mean they're forgiven or absolved. It means that you're leaving leaving judgment to God and not trying to assert God. You need to get your soul in that place. You can't get your soul in that place. But God can get your soul in that place. If you surrender to his way and start seeking the way of the kingdom of God, which is a righteous way, Persevering in that search for the kingdom of God and the righteous way. You you need to do that. You need to strive in that direction. Not that you're striving that your striving is going to enter, give you any points. But it's going to open or allow the door to be knock. There's a you know, knocking is saying, I I want to let the Holy Spirit in. I want want you to open up the door and when the door opens up there'll be light and it will show you and at first you may like "Ah, that a little too much light, don't open it so much. (laughs) Like that excuse me. Like that I'm talking with my hands and hitting the mic. The the crevice that Moses is looking at God through. I can't look at the whole thing. I just look at this little bit. So you knock on the door, don't just swing it open, Lord. (laughs) Let me get used to the light because the light is going to expose, expose expose things to you that are hidden away in your corporeal and incorporeal personality that you didn't want to see. And usually those things you see will require you to forgive somebody of the past. And you don't have to remember the specific moment. But, like, if you were a small child and traumatized by somebody's abuse of you, and it may be hard to see that abuse. I've seen this over and over again. It drives people. It drives them to alcohol. It drives them to drugs. It drives them to, you know, drugs like religion, (laughs) ideologies. Something to replace the Holy Spirit, to be there for you instead of the Holy Spirit because in order to get the Holy Spirit you have to take a look at those dark spots those places where you need to forgive others and the reason those dark spots are there is it was too much for you when you were a child but now you have to put away the things of the child and see the truth so when you're in your board meetings your congregation meetings you men and you're afraid to confront somebody you're afraid of being put down by somebody. You're afraid of being embarrassed by somebody, probably because of trauma in your past. Stand up, man. Face it. But face it, seeking the kingdom of God in His righteousness. So this is very important to understand that eventually we all have to face the light. If we don't face the light, we can't be forgiven facing the light is to forgive others and when you face the light you may see some of those that you have to forgive and like I say the the people that you may have to forgive depending on how old you are they may be dead already you don't have to go forgive that exact same person but maybe you have to take care of old people maybe you have to take care of children maybe you have to you just have to help your neighbor you might even have to go out and help a democrat <laughs> maybe I should say liberal you know uh maybe you have to help somebody who thinks they're open homosexual you have to be kind to them honest but kind and you think i don't want to have anything to do with that guy well no no maybe god wants you to do it maybe maybe your fear of being kind to that person i'm not saying to to justify their delusions i'm saying you know maybe they're just having a rough time of it. And and during the process of building that trust, I, I've told this story many times, because uh, there's many, many stories of people who were in mental homes and, and schizophrenic, clearly schizophrenic, and in, unable to function in society as a schizophrenic, but they were put out on the streets. And they went back and they exa- looked for all these people that were kicked out of these c- convalescent mental institutions. Mm-hmm uh these mental institutions and they they found like half of them weren't schizophrenic anymore and almost every single one if based on what i can remember every single one but i i'm just saying almost cuz I, I i doubt that statistic is 100% accurate but almost every single one at least it, it seemed to be an overwhelming evidence that the ones who had gotten better and were no longer schizophrenic. You could test them. And they didn't show any sign of being schizophrenic. They were functioning in society. They had jobs. Some of them had families. Were doing great. And some of them were really severe schizophrenics before, and, and along with other uh, dysphorias and delusional problems. And it all seemed to be gone. And one thing they had in common is they weren't taking the drugs anymore. They stopped taking the drugs. But the other things they had in common, and and this was critical in every single case that I looked at, is that somebody befriended them, even though they were a little odd or a little weird and didn't talk and were clearly put on the street and they just helped them. And they treated them like a normal person, like the child they were because a lot of times these people act like children. They'll throw temper tantrums and everything. And it's really bad when somebody that's 180 pounds throws a temper tantrum. <laughs> they can actually hurt people. But they they haven't matured past the trauma of their life. It's It stifled them in their trauma. and But somebody treated them kindly. Honestly, but kindly. And they begin to trust that individual. And they begin to come out and grow up, grow out of their dysphorias, grow out of their schizophrenia, grow out of their judgment, grow out of their desire to control others because somebody controlled them, whatever it is. and There's lots of different ways it manifests itself. And they got better. And you couldn't see it anymore. And they actually were able to have a life and, and be of value to other people. Not necessarily entirely saved, but at least on the road to the kingdom of God. Remember, no better man than John the Baptist in the kingdom of heaven, he would be the least of them. You want to get all the way to the kingdom of heaven. Getting as good as John the Baptist, not good enough. Getting halfway as good as John the Baptist, that's not good enough. You're probably pretty functional if you're halfway as good as John the Baptist. But you want to get at least up to the least of them in the kingdom of heaven. (laughs) So, uh, you know, they, they can't be forgiven in this age nor in that which is to come until they no longer blaspheme the Holy Spirit. Either make the tree good and his fruit good or else make the tree corrupt and his fruit corrupt. For the tree is known by his fruits. And of course, the fruits of the tree of life are different than the fruits of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. O oh, generation of vipers, how can ye, being evil, speak good things? For out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaketh. So you, you don't want to be engaged in the covetous practices. You want to be engaged in the charitable practices of love. And every, every congregation should be doing this. Every free assembling individual of a congregation should be doing this. A good man out of a good treasure of the heart bringeth forth good things. And an evil man out of the evil treasure bringeth forth evil things. But I say unto you that every idle word that men shall speak, they shall give account thereof. In the days of judgment For by the words thou shalt be justified And by thy words thou shalt be condemned So it's very important that we do all the things That that he says that we are to do And I actually have a little bit more time And I know we have to cut out a little bit of this program So then certain scribes and the Pharisees answered saying Master we should see a sign from thee but he answered and said unto them, "Evil and adulterous generation seeketh after a sign, and there shall no sign be given to it, to that generation. But the sign of the prophet Jonas." So he's telling those people. He knows they're they're trying to snake their way in the, these vipers, and, and and get. But they're evil and adulterous. Uh, group, they're iniquitous and adulterous because of their covetous practices, and, and because they have gone to the harlot, and the beast, the harlot rides upon, which at that time was the Roman Empire. To maintain their power, they they couldn't maintain their power with free assemblies, so they they followed after the Romans and created assemblies where everybody had to pay in. And it was working for a while. It wouldn't work forever. It would eventually collapse. But that's the way it is with the unrighteous mammon. But he says, so so we get this prophet Jonas. He says, For as Jonas was three days and three nights in the whale's belly, so shall the Son of Man be three days and three nights. And I have links there to an article on that subject. Was Jesus in the tomb for three days and three nights? In the heart of the earth. And Men of Nineveh shall rise in judgment with their generation and shall condemn it, because they repented at the preaching of Jonas. And behold, a greater than Jonas is here. The queen of the south shall rise up in judgment with this generation and shall condemn it. For she came from the uttermost parts of the earth, to hear the wisdom of Solomon. And behold, a greater than Solomon is here. So he's saying that's him. And he's he's going to, now they didn't, you know, we can l- listen to this and say, oh, this is about Christ's death and going into the tomb and all this stuff. They had no idea. So it's very cryptic. But this is kind of his way of r- revealing things to them. What they really needed to do is stop being evil and adulterous generation. But it was very clear that many of them wouldn't. I believe that one of them did, and that's Caiaphas. Now, I just believe that, and I'll, I'll, I'll explain that later, and I have explained it before. But in verse 43, we say, When the unclean spirit is gone out of a man, he walketh through dry places seeking rest, and findeth none. Then he saith, "I will return into my house from whence I came out, and when he is come out, come he findeth it empty, swept, and garnished. then goeth he, and taketh with him self seven other spirits more wicked than himself, and they enter in and dwell there, and the last state of that man, which is the house they've entered into is worse than the first. Even so shall it also be with this wicked generation. So they're they're going to go from bad to worse because they're going to clean up things, but they're not going to clean up the whole thing. They're not going to invite the Holy Spirit because if the Holy Spirit was dwelling in that house, evil could not enter in. That's where you all have to go. And and you have to go there and come together while doing it, because that is your salvation. Now, you can't conjure that up. The Holy Spirit will fight the battle when the time comes. But you have to be willing to stand up to fact-checkers on Facebook (laughs) and the other members of your board of directors (laughs) while he's set, because every congregation is a board of directors. Now, they elect the minister, and they can unelect the minister. And he can go be a minister somewhere else because he's not just elected by them. He's chosen by them, but he's a minister of God, supposedly. So choose wisely. Choose carefully. Choose lovingly when you choose your minister. And if your minister needs help, that's part of your job. I know, I, oh, I don't have enough time to go into it. Let's get these last three verses. While he yet talked to the people, behold, his mother and his brethren stood without, desiring to speak with him. Then one said unto him, Behold, thy mother and thy brethren stand without, desiring to speak with thee. But he answered and said unto him, They told him, who is my mother and who is my brethren? And he stretched forth his hand towards his disciples and said, behold, my brother and my brethren, for whosoever shall do the will of my father, which is in heaven, the same is my brother and sister and mother. And so, you know, there there had to be a lot bigger drama going on there. And we know that some of his disciples were his brothers, at least half brothers, uh, by either Joseph before he married Mary, uh, and some will say Mary after Jesus when she was married to Joseph. Now there's two different opinions on that And I don't really care which one you accept But the fact is that Jesus had half brothers and But these were not his brethren This is goes back to play And I should put in a link in here To play on the, the quote Where he who loves his family More than the kingdom of God More than the will of God He's not worthy of the kingdom and that isn't – then we have to start defining terms like love and what that means and how that looks. But we don't have enough time uh, because I try to keep these down to two hours and what if we cut out those other things and maybe we'll get down to that. So anyway, so we got all the way through that. Uh, if you have any questions, uh, you know, you can email them to me. Uh, I'll take a look back and see if any hands are raised. We still got a lot of people in the queue and some people in the chat room i see oh there's quite a few still in the chat room there and uh i don't see any questions coming up so anyway i i've kept you long enough it was a long time to get to this uh this idea of every congregation being a board i think that's a real skill to be that members of the board members of the congregation and we're going to need people like that in the future. God's going to need them, who are good congregations, uh, for good members of congregation. And I say members. I don't really like that word, but in a free assembly of a board, in the sense that making decisions, will we'll have a need for that. But it requires people who really stand up and speak up and uh, are supportive of their minister. And I could give you lots and lots of stories that I just went over today with somebody else about where boards weren't doing their job. I shared something on Facebook recently where boards don't know what their job is. And, of course, that's what we're showing you is what the congregation's jobs are, what it means to be seeking the kingdom of God and his righteousness. That's a job. And together in this network of the kingdom it will play out as a responsibility for people. So if you want your rights back, I'm sure you've heard me say this before, you have to accept your responsibilities back. And and until you do, all I can say is God bless and may the Lord keep you. But that clock is still ticking. (laughs) So anyway, God bless. We'll see you on the network.